what's going on people what's up what's up thank you thank you for clicking on the episode link thank you for listening to another episode of this dreaded podcast that i have going on here but uh, it's pretty cool that people are listening to it so uh, i feel you know i feel a little pat on the back i feel a little, little bit of my inner narcissism being catered to so i make more of these so that's the cycle that i do want to get into that's a toxic cycle of need you know of uh, of need to be acknowledged by unknown people that i'm trying to cater to here but in all seriousness uh, i do like talking to all kinds of interesting people that i've encountered and not yet encountered but today's episode is is super interesting i'm sitting down and speaking with jim perry jim perry is uh is the proprietor uh, of the hottest new comedy club in gilbert arizona some of you may be asking hey how many comedy clubs are there in gilbert arizona uh it is the one that jim perry started but uh, hey man it's it's a fucking cool spot i was there a couple of weeks ago for a mic it is a great time it's i think it's got you know a really good vibe of of a nice uh intimate club uh, so i sit down with him more interestingly jim was also an ex cop he was uh, a cop for 10 years uh in the south side of chicago so a lot of the current events and the anti cop sentiments did come up and uh, and he expressed his views and i see where he's coming from and i i see some inconsistency i don't under, you know i don't see eye to eye with him on some uh you know of his positions but more and more importantly he was coming from a genuine place and we had a discussion and i did take away something from that conversation you know from his perspective and and what he thinks about everything and we did talk about the comedy club and and you know what an endeavor it is to start his uh, was it it was to start his own club so it was it was a fun engaging conversation for me at least and hope you guys enjoy it and last thing before we get started with the episode here I am going to be at JP's Comedy Club. Yes, that's his name, JP, the stand in for Jim Perry. JP's Comedy Club in Gilbert, Arizona. I'm going to be there this Saturday, September 26th for the 7 p.m. and the 9 p.m. show I'll be featuring. The headliner is Jay Penn, host Rose Verdugo. I said that a little too ethnically, but you uh, know, Rose is great. She's going to be hosting. It's going to be a great old time. Karma Bird is a funny guy. Karma Bird's going to be uh, doing a guest spot, so it's going to be a great lineup. We have a seven o'clock show, a nine o'clock show for Saturday, ninth uh, uh, September twenty sixth. Uh, I'll leave the link. Leave a link to the uh, to the event page and the fucking tickets in the show notes. Please, please, if you guys are interested, please check the show out. Buy. buy the tickets fucking come out it's going to be a grand old time we're going to you know, laugh it up and have a good time so without any further ado uh here's abra talks to jim perry all right jim perry how are you doing man i'm good man thanks for having me fantastic we are uh, broadcasting live from yeah. uh, from this here comedy club yeah we finally got it going man a lot of hard work yeah is this uh, yeah yeah i i I'd imagine you know running any sort of business, running <laughs> a fucking uh, uh, what do you call them? Like one of the lemonade stands yeah. is, is hard enough. <laughs> Kool Aid, all the ice you want. This is uh, yeah, a little bit a uh, little bit bigger than that. A little more complex. Uh, a few more children to work with. Yeah, quite stand. a few more <laughs> children. Yeah. Oh man, 
This is good, man. You got a uh, pretty cool vibe here, um, yeah. out here in Gilbert, representing. I don't know what the code is even. I would have said four eight zero six zero two something like that. What's Gilbert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been cool. I mean, um, I've been doing comedy for you know just a couple few years, and I've always been frustrated a little bit on how to find that portal or that access point to the comedy clubs. And I just I wanted to build like a small comedy club that was really like a boxing gym for other comics where they can like try out material and then have opportunities to to get on stage more and then prep them and get them better for the bigger stages so i think i think it's cool to have a comedy club that's built by somebody that's doing comedy because Mm -hmm. we see it from a different point of view instead of like just the monopoly version of it yeah um but yeah it's a little we're in Gilbert, so uh, <laughs> but it's going to be, I think, a pretty cool like neighborhood place, and and uh, I hope and it's supported. And we've had a, you know, kind of a soft opening, some open mics and stuff, mm. and and we've been getting a lot of really good support from the neighborhood and, and fellow comedians. So we're excited yeah. about it. For sure, man. For sure, soft openings. That's that's yeah. a, that's every opening, every sexual encounter I've had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for twenty some odd years. My wife is uh, used to stuff being soft with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, so. like soft ending. <laughs> what are you talking about? Soft yeah, yeah, opening. Yeah. Soft opening, soft middle, soft ending. Yeah, and I'm pretty soft in the middle in the stomach area too. Yeah. So it's all good. It's cool, man. That's good. You're like the Mother Teresa for, for local comics here. You have this uh, <laughs> establishment. And yeah. instead of lepers, it's comics. So that's pretty cool. No, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely is a good prospect. Like competition is always good, you know, with, with anything. Mm-hmm. So you have like six comedy clubs here. Now you have the seventh. Mm-hmm. There's we've no had, downside to it. We've had a couple comedy clubs that have been around a while closed because of the whole COVID thing. So I, I like the idea of a, a smaller room. We can sit a hundred if we were mm-hmm. full, but it's a nice small intimate space. And then as a fellow comedian, you know, it's like kind of nice. Even if there's 20 people in this room, yeah. it sounds good because the, the laughs don't escape the room. So. Yeah. So like a lower, low yeah. seating, that kind of a thing. So I think, I think it's going to be a good thing. So fingers crossed, man. No, no, fingers no. crossed. Absolutely. Like the best rooms are the small intimate rooms. Right. Man. I know. I, I mean, I guess I can name drop. It's not a big deal. I'm saying a good, nice thing like Stir Crazy uh, on the west side. Yeah. I really like that room just because it's it's the the acoustics really play out really well. Right. Because of of the size of the room. Yeah. And I think there's some some element of that that can be replicated here. Yeah, I think we're a very similar size and a similar business model to Stir Crazy. And what's nice is um, Tom, the owner of Stir Crazy, has been very supportive of our club and has been helping me with questions and stuff. So it's cool to have that relationship. And he's on the other side of earth compared to Gilbert. So he's in Glendale, which a great venue, beautiful venue. Yeah. Support him if you're on the West side and then support us on the East side. Yeah. I'll make the one hour drive and support both of them. (laughs) Pieces of, okay. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I get, I'm not doing comedy, you know, a lot of people think about that. I mean, it's not a lot, not a lot compared to the general population, but that, is a rational thought you can think somebody even if they're in the in their middle ages if you know like a midlife crisis or even a teenager they you know they don't like anything else mm-hmm. and they're like fuck this comedy thing <laughs> seems tra- nice you know i i really right. like comedy my friends say i'm funny you know one of those things and people jump into comedy so that part yeah. i get and i would like to hear how you got into comedy but more importantly 
just having the thought that uh, maybe I should start a comedy club. Right. <laughs> is is not like there, I don't see rationality in it. Directly. I don't know if there was a lot of rationale. <laughs> and I'm probably going to get a little depressing here for you, but th- my story with the whole comedy thing is I own another business. I own a security business, very similar to to like ADT, where you monitor you know house and homes and businesses and stuff. Yeah. And we own a family security business, and that business we've been blessed is uh, kind of running itself. And, and, and it's paying the bills. So what was funny was I was having way too much free time and my wife's like, Hey, you can't be watching fucking Netflix 12 hours. <laughs> so my kids are almost grown. They're almost out of the house and in college. And I always had this desire to take a stand up comedy class and just mm-hmm. kind of see what it was. And, uh, I did, I signed up for a, a comedy class at, uh, Scottsdale comedy spot. Um, now defunct. Scott yeah, but they were around for a long time. Oh, yeah. And uh, I took a class there and uh, continually took classes there and then got did some stage time and showcase for my family and friends. And I really got the bug and just started loving it. And then from that point, I jumped into kind of different circles. I jumped into doing the stand-up comedy classes and, and kind of met that circle of people mm-hmm. and then also jumped into the open mic people and, and that, and then I really have a heart for charity and stuff and then started producing small shows. And I think you've been on a couple of Mm -hmm. them with me like the American Legion and just bar shows, you know, and, and, and raising money and trying to prevent or, or, or provide opportunities for comics in that way. So I really just love comedy and I grew up liking comedy. But what I noticed when I was looking at the checkbook was I was spending a lot of money on, comedy classes and just driving around and doing shows in LA and Chicago and New York and trying to get in all these little clubs, literally driving to LA to do a five minute spot and driving for 12 hours. Which you may or may not get up on in some sense. Exactly. And then I, I I told my wife and I, I, I'm like, we can open a place and I think I'll end up saving money (laughs) by opening a place and, and being able to do time at my club and provide opportunities. But that's only if you, uh, you know, open the club in lieu of doing those other things. Right. If right. you do both, I don't think it'll work out. <laughs> I don't think I can do both anymore. I, my wife claims this is my third midlife crisis. I think the motorcycle that I bought was the first one. Oh, dude, you're like that's long gone. Checking so. all the cliche boxes yeah, yeah, on yeah, right. midlife crisis. So if you see the Corvette out front, I've I've totally lost my mind. <laughs> and then not to bum it out, but um, my mom has been uh, had cancer for like four years, mm-hmm. and she got super super sick. And if I'm being really honest. And, and really upfront with you, I needed a distraction. And mm. I really wonder sometimes if comedy, and I became so obsessed with it, was a distraction to not yeah, think about like my mom. Yeah, it's like an escape. Yeah, and then unfortunately my mom passed away, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, and um, or a month now. Jeez, I can't even believe it's been that long. And this has been a distraction to that, but I also hope something that would make her proud because mm-hmm. I've owned a lot of businesses over my life, but I've never owned a brick and border business. Mm-hmm. And she knew that that was my passion of always being a business owner of some sort. So I, I, I'm doing this in, in honor of her and my dad who always instilled uh, business type philosophies and skills in my life growing up. Yeah. But I'm, I'm excited, man. I mean, we're, we're in a position where, um, like I said, the business is doing well. We're financially blessed, and and if this thing can just pay the rent, it's it, we're gonna keep it. Plus, yeah. it's kind of like a man cave. So if I fight with the wife, I uh-huh. I can I can escape. I mean, you were napping here. When yes, I, got I have here. a couch in the green room, and I I do sleep back here once <laughs> in a while. So 
But uh, yeah, I mean, the we'll worst see what... casting couch ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's just me, just me. Yeah, just just Jim Perry and a little pillow. Yeah. So, so um, and my teddy bear. Don't forget the teddy bear. <laughs> you have a teddy bear. I don't. <laughs> why is it de- decapitated? Yeah, his name is Dave. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, uh, it it is interesting that you kind of self-analyze there. You know, talk about your mother's sickness and yeah. and uh, that was kind of around the same timeline yeah. you know where, where you said okay comedy I, I need to do this thing and you started doing this almost like on an escape yeah I would, I'm, I'm I'm not too proud to admit that I no mean, I don't I, think I, I definitely is. think uh, there's there's a correlation there. mm-hmm. yeah I mean I I don't want to project but I don't think there is anything to be ashamed or not no. proud of it's, it's, yeah. it is just you know, a matter of fact as a human being mm-hmm. I know you try to find like the path of least resistance and right. try to you know it's, it's pretty fluid if if this is giving you you know mental distress you're thinking about it mm-hmm. this is something that is bothering you because of course it's your mother right. and and uh, no, as you've shared before with me personally, you're very close to your mother. Yeah, she's my uh, best friend. Yeah, so it, I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, so, I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, yeah. just dealing with loss is, is such a heavy thing. And I don't think personally I've had to deal with loss in, in at this magnitude. In, and I think this is true of everybody, even thinking of these things. You know, there's few people that everybody has who they can't even fathom losing, right? Right. For some people, it's not their parent; it's somebody else. But it is there is someone like that. How do you like? I can't even wrap my head around the fact. Like, what goes through your mind? And you can speak about this as little or as much as you would like. But what goes through your mind? And there's the the classic cliche of the the stages of grief. I, do you, do you see that uh, happening I, with you? I wish I had an answer. I feel like I'm in in those stages, and there's times where, um. You know, I totally break down and just like sob, you know, just by hearing like a story and then like I'll distract myself with business or something. And then I almost feel guilty that I'm not grieving. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know. I, I sometimes you feel there's that denial. I think like I still feel like she's still here. I don't know. I, I think I'm in the very beginning of those grieving stages, yeah. but I can tell you that this is my first big loss. I've never had somebody die in my life that was this close to me. Yeah. I mean, I had the grandma die and love grandma and mm-hmm. went over there for Christmas and had cookies or whatever, but mm-hmm. it wasn't my mother, you know, yeah. and not to make your podcast all sad, no, but, no, I mean, but I think people were kind of like, man, why is it? Cause I, I've only been doing comedy a couple of few years and people were like, geez, he's doing everything. He's all like, over the place. He's What's all going? over the place. He's on all these shows and that's probably because of my marketing skills and just being relentless, but just being almost OCD about it. And then all of a sudden, 30 days, I, when I bought this place, a lot of my friends that own clubs and other people are like, it's going to take you four to six months to open this place. <laughs> and I opened it in 30 days. Damn. So um, some would say that that's a great work ethic, but I, I also need to, to find balance in my life, oh, and I'm 100%. hoping to find that. But I, you know, I'm one that thinks and believes you know, it's not normal to me as a stand-up comedian or any stand-up comedian to to want to go on stage and get laughed from strangers. I I think we all, and, and this is just my personal thought, I think everybody has some type of hurt habit or hang-up, and we look for some avenue to, to find a therapy for that. Mm-hmm. And some people's therapy is a golf game, and, and for me, I think it's telling 
dick jokes. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see what it is. But I right think, now, I, I I'm I'm happy with the decision, and I think it's uh, I think it's gonna go well. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd be surprised how much of an overlap there is in the in the activities that go on in a golf game and a comedy open mic. Right, right. It's right. just the money that's the difference. Like one <laughs> one group has some, other group does not. That's it. Like it's the same. You're drinking beers, you're talking shit, yeah, you know, walking style. around, hanging out. The hang. That's what it's about, man. That's right. like you know, people like to have community. Right. And uh, you know, the the outlet of being actually physically on the stage and talking is is one thing that mm-hmm. surely is important. But everything that comes along with it. A sense of community because I guess in the modern world the, the, there is no real community. Not a lot of people go to church. Or I'm not trying to preach here, but uh, right. And I'm not personally religious either, but we, church and things like that do give a community a sense of community to people. Church, mosque, synagogue, mm-hmm. you go to your shaman, whatever the case may be, right? All of those things uh, help you, and this is, I, this is kind of like that. I think believing in something bigger than yourself is important. We happen to be religious and go to church and volunteer at our church and we're real involved with the kids programs and stuff. And that's where we find happiness and peace and therapeutic things. And uh, I think it's just important if, if to make it more general is, is to be connected with something or, or, or believe in something that's higher than ourselves. I think that's important. Yeah. No, I, so. I, I, I can completely agree with it, uh, you on that. You know? Even as an a-religious person, I mm-hmm. can definitely see that there's a sense of humility to it. Yeah, there's a sense of cockiness. Uh, the 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 stereotype of the cocky atheist doesn't doesn't you know not come well, from nowhere. There's plenty of cocky Christians too that oh, give yeah. the Christians a bad name or the yeah. self righteous, and I'm no, I'm course. definitely not fans of those people. Of so. course, yeah, and and that's was kind of my you know uh, point is. The, the sense of wonder and the sense of humility of saying, hey, I don't really know what is going on has has a lot of value to it. I've been learning uh, to, to kind of embrace that. I don't think I've always been that guy, but it's just people, even with like if a cocky, self-assured like Christian or a Muslim or whoever it is, like they're like, I know this is it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's where you kind of fuck up, I think. Right. And I think it's important to have faith, but at the same time, it's like none of us know. We're hopeful. <laughs> But uh, I mean, it's the it's yeah. I mean, you can get in big debates with people that are highly religious about that. They're like, "No, I know," and I'm like, "Well, we don't know, but we have faith and we have hope." Yeah. But uh, at least that's where I stand. I mean, I everybody's think. playing the slot machine, dude. Yeah, you don't know what's gonna come up next. And everyone's religious journey or whatever you believe in is their own journey, so it's really yeah, up to them. Definitely, the the, the keep. Keep my wife really would be one that would tell you, no, I know. And I'm like, well, no, you, no, you <laughs> know. Jesus came to <laughs> but me I, in But I dream. know better to argue. I shake my head and nod at her at this point, so I know. Yeah. So that's why we're happily married. I yeah. shake my head and nod. <laughs> for sure, man, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, no, so, you, so you're talking about how you got into comedy and mm-hmm. there's this bug and, like, once you get, you're, like, a go-getter. You Once you're in it, you're in it. Uh, you know, it's you know, balls to the wall. You're fucking going for it. Um, so you think, this comedy club you know, outside of the other things that we spoke is kind of an extension of that of like you know hey I'm going to do more comedy more comedy and like it takes a little bit to to actually like establish and keep progressing in the direction uh, in, in just comedy as a performer because yes. just because of the entire ecosystem so is this your way of kind of uh, uh, putting a nitrous boost on the whole I, thing? I like the idea of understanding comedy behind the curtain i think coming from it as a comedian and as a performer it's all about hey man i want five minutes i want my 10 minutes i want my 15 minutes what i gotta bring people what are you talking about and then when you look at it from a business perspective you totally see it and then the networking opportunities that are available as a club owner 
too, is I'm meeting so many different people that if I do choose to do comedy more and more, because naturally I'm probably going to be on stage more if I choose to be, and it's more convenient to be, um, I think that it would help my comedic career if I choose to do that. I don't know if I'm... My heart isn't like to move to L.A. and be in the movies. and I honestly am filling whatever void, if you will, for lack of a term. I... If I can fill this room with 25, 50 people, 100 people, whatever that looks like once a week or whatever that looks like and talk and tell jokes and get people laugh, I think that for me would be the fulfillment I need. I And then I've done like movies and stuff and little independent things, but I really don't see myself wanting or caring to go beyond that. So yeah. if that makes sense. No, no, yeah, that, that totally does make sense. And I do find it fascinating to be around different cultures, be around different ways of life, hearing different perspectives in a comedic way and just meeting different people. Um, I told you we're, we're very religious. We go to church. We're real involved at our church. But what I don't like about my church and being religious is, is when you're around the same circle of people that all believe the same as you do. Yeah. And then what happens is like you go outside that circle and then everyone's, you know, it's like, what I believe is Jesus went outside his circle. Well, I think it's important to go outside my comfortability circle too and learn about what other people believe and stuff. I think that's important. And I just love being in different environments and, and experiencing different things as I get older. Yeah. So yeah, that is true. Like just living and you just described Facebook <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if I, any, any, any other social media you just like described right. um, that people kind of try to stick with their own circle and then you know obviously we can talk to death about social media and all of that and i kind of yeah. yap about that a lot as that that just supercharges the whole phenomenon of people being in their own circle right like with just automation and ai and algorithms and all of that and it just so whatever's happening at your church you know like everybody's a nice person right but everybody believes in and pretty much the same thing everybody's pretty much the same person well they're all and nice and happy on yeah. sunday but what's going on monday through <laughs> saturday yeah i mean yeah. that's a that's yeah, another that's thing that's a whole other but they, they agree with each other so there's no scope for right. improve scope for improvement I, scope for learning i find sometimes. it fascinating and challenging to go outside my circle especially with my background being in law enforcement and and being probably more conservative than a lot of people that I'm around. I, I find it a challenge and I like breaking through that barrier of going, you know what? He may be this, but as far as Jim, he's a good guy. And Mm -hmm. I know this guy and I've got to work with that guy and, and to change those social stereotypes on both ends, I think is important for people that I thought were a certain way. And I'm like, no, they might think this or believe that, but they're a good person yeah so. my my whole take on that is like i think it's good to mingle with people talk to different kinds of people you'll you'll learn something you'll Absolutely. learn something about them and if you don't like it just just you know, take it's a step okay. back yeah, yeah it's okay to agree to disagree too. just take a step back and if you think you disagree with them on something really fatal and you think that just like you you can't even that you know you can't even meet eye to eye on like some very basic things then no harm no fall just walk away well you talk about disagreements i come from a school of thought that if you have a disagreement with somebody you don't hide behind a keyboard and do it on like social media like you said instead you go you know face to face with that person and you have a conversation that's civil and then if you can't come to an agreement what i've been raised to believe is that you bring in a mediator that has no skin in the game and you try to work that out 
And then if you still can't work that out, then it's okay to walk away, agree yeah. to disagree, like mature people, and 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 it's all right to not have them be a part of your circle of influence. Okay. Yeah. 100%. But you don't have to hate or hurt or or go after. I don't really get the whole social media hate stuff. I just I mean, don't get it. I mean, in terms of getting it. I, I get it. I don't think it should be a thing. I thought it yeah. should be less of a thing, but I do get it. It's entertaining. Yeah. You know, to to spill vitriol is entertaining, and uh, you know, and and everybody does that, uh, and that that sometimes it's by design. You know, people, you know, use social media for that to get the get the slice of gossip and. and yeah, I use it more for shit. like posting silly silly stuff, jokes, family pictures, and and advertising for my business yeah you're you're in the minority yeah, my friend i don't want i don't <laughs> jump into the that yeah stuff. i think it is it is just a form of entertainment uh, it's like a movie you're a part of and you know, you yeah, people watch love movie. drama i mean that's why reality shows are yeah, so and popular and, and that that goes deep you know like mm-hmm. the, the like people liking drama and gossip and new information and that goes deep just like in terms of how people have evolved and come to be uh, over the years uh, drama and gossip and getting new information is vital for your survival and reproduction if you have like more information so that kind of I think is, is embedded in us and that's what makes us uh, tickle, tickles our fancy if I can yeah. say that so I mean that is the rationale behind why people like it I think it's it's not healthy mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I may partake in it by just looking at it because I don't think I've gone into the realm of like jumping in and participating yeah. no I do admit that I, unfortunately I probably still read it but yeah, I don't because like to it's, participate. It, it it gets your juices flowing like you can't really control it, but that's why people do it. But okay, I I do want to like come back to the whole thing of um, mm-hmm. running a comedy club. Right? Okay, so you decide to you know start a comedy club and and okay, so what do you do? Google how do you start a comedy club? So what is your process like of of figuring out things? I know this collaboration. You said you have friends who who are in the business or yeah. who are in adjacent businesses. So how 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 was that process? Well, business to me is business, and if the numbers make sense, then you you run the numbers over and over and over again, and you have a business plan, and you bounce it off people that are in that field and see if it can make sense. And one thing that I notice about me is that if I'm in a situation, I'm always looking at the business aspect of it because that's I love the aspect of business. I I find it fascinating. So when I was in comedy classes, I would I would be listening and trying to improve jokes and helping people with jokes. But I'd also be looking at how are they running this as a business? And when I go to a comedy club as a, as a customer, I'd be looking at how are they doing this as a business? And then one of the people that I really hooked up with, who's been in comedy for like ever is Tony Visick. Tony Visick has been teaching comedy classes for over 40 years and has wrote jokes for one of the, well, quite a few of the best comedians there ever was. And he was a good person to kind of team up with and, and, mm. and, I just wanted to be involved. And it is when the numbers make sense, then it's worth the risk to me. Yeah. A lot of people have given me some stuff and said, why would you open a comedy club during COVID, a pandemic? And I have a different way of thinking. I, I have been very blessed in when everything is going to shit, mm-hmm. take a risk and do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Yeah. So my wife and I, when 2008 happened and everyone's houses were being lost, we bought six houses. And that really helped us financially. Jesus Christ, it's yeah. you and the hedge fund guys in New York who bought up all the property. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, well, six houses really helped us out financially. And then and then when uh, 9-11 happened, we 
we bought a bunch of stock. So when COVID happened and I had this like little inkle of always wanting to open a comedy club or not always, but in the last couple of years or so, I'm like, this is the time I can find a place, good rent and take a chance because there's a lot of incentives right now because so many businesses are running away. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that I can see the future, but what I can say is that when I've taken risk, when things seem bad, it's like that old, that old saying by, what is it? By low sell high, right? Yeah. I mean, and that, everyone, that makes sense. Uh, it makes sense, but <laughs> most people do the opposite. Yeah. That's because people like, uh, so when the stock market crashed, right. And March and it right. just crashed for all of three days before it was back up, maybe probably a week it was low right. and it came back up because they knew if daddy federal government had everybody's back. So that it's been only going back up. Yeah. And when uh, the market then. is high, everyone's like, Oh, I need to buy, buy, buy. No, that's when you get rid of it. So yeah. I, I look at it as an opportunity and it, may seem silly to some but i i really think that there's an opportunity here when stuff like this happens yeah so i'd be interested in like knowing you said if the numbers make sense mm-hmm. what does that mean uh, like in, in material terms as there so uh, i mean you can say in theory in general terms that the numbers yeah work. i mean not to get too specific but i mean to make sure you know your main bills that i'm noticing and again i mean you're talking to a comedy club owner that's been in business for two weeks so i, I mean you're the expert here dude. Zero. yeah <laughs> i'm no i'm no expert no you are the so, expert zero weeks versus two weeks so <laughs> yeah I mean. there you go so i mean the big expenses are are going to be your rent um your utilities your insurances and then your your product cost and then your your talent costs mm-hmm. and then you know you got to figure out the number of seats that you're going to have to have in the seats to make sure that those numbers can be covered and those number of seats that we need to have covered to cover all those bills makes sense mm-hmm. um and then the supplement of that was was not only doing classes but also you can rent to private events or you can teach classes like Tony's going to be doing. He's the other half of the business. So as long as all that stuff is in motion, then I, I feel my risk is low. Yeah. However, now when you look at a place like the Tempe improv or the Stand Up live, I mean, that is totally a different business model and one I don't grasp or, or care to understand. Yeah. I mean, their numbers are probably, I'll tell you what their business model is substantially in, higher than something one, I'm doing in one sentence, $10 <laughs> lemonade. That's $10 their, lemonade. <laughs> yeah. that's their we have model. $5 lemonade. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Obviously those are, those are really good clubs and, and all no, I mean, stuff. our hope is to be a club that, that helps comics be prepared to do better at those type of clubs. So we want to be, an assistant and a help to comics to get into those clubs and get booked. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we don't look at them as competition competition. or it's totally two different business models. Yeah. I mean like in the strictest sense of word, the word, like I guess they are competition that, you know, you're competing for people's time that they spend here, but it's almost like a different space. So they don't really overlap. And maybe if things go well, you know, Lot of all the dominoes fall, you know, everything falls in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this will be competition to that. You know, long term, you you never know. And uh, no, and I, I hope to just be a compliment and and an assistant to comics. And oh. what's been nice is almost every comedy club that we've reached out <coughs> that that knew what we were doing has been so supportive. So it's 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 been cool. It hmm. it it's been more supportive on the comedy owner <laughs> end than it has been with as a comedian with fellow comedians. Uh, so it's nice to, 
it's nice to see that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I got to say um and I do want to like pick on a little bit of that long-term uh plan and you say you still want to stick to to this trajectory and stay there. But in terms of support from fellow comedians uh as has not been and been the best. Here's what I've seen in my experience like talking to people. I was here once for one of the open mics and we had a great time. I think a large vast majority of people who would want to perform here like the fact that there is an additional place to perform there's probably a small sliver of people who you know who don't yeah, really want I mean, to uh, who don't have the desire and maybe some people were you know they they again it's the whole social media thing uh, in person it would be a whole different ball game if you're talking to somebody in person yeah. they wouldn't say those things because typing and a lot of people say this you know typing is very bad it's a very bad way of communicating yeah. so you type something down and after that you're like huh like did you really communicate what you wanted to or did this the mood of the the overall thread of conversation kind of influenced what I you're typing i think that's exactly what happened i mean we've we've met over 400 performers and in the last 5 6 open mics we've really? done really 400 yeah at least and my yeah, point is is that I'm not going to give power to the three or four people that were upset about us opening a club. Yeah. To give them that power is silly. And and my point is is that we heard not one negative thing of any of these people that came here. Everyone's super supportive, happy to have a stage to be on and happy to have an opportunity. But there's nothing in this world that's going to make I'm never going to make everybody happy. It's impossible. It's an impossible task. So to give, you know, a few people that may be upset about another club opening is well we welcome them with open arms when they're ready. All right, that's a that's a good uh, good note on that. Yeah. So in in terms of the overall um trajectory and you did like very explicitly you say that this is the space you want to be in and that's what you want to do. Yeah. So but have you had, you know, thought about uh as more of a medium term five year 10 year plan to say that like this is the direction if if it all works out the best case scenario this is the pivot i'm going to make and i have a 10 year plan so okay. i have a 3 year lease <laughs> <laughs> and then i have a two what do they call it a, a two three year option after that mm. so i could do this for my goal is to do this for 9 years if it's a, successful and not in the red i'll do this for 9 years and then after that i'm retiring with my wife Mm-hmm. um I'll be 55 years old and it's time to ride into the sunset. Right and that's that's our plan. So I I would love to do this for 10 years, but if it's only for 3 years, it's okay too. Yeah. Um I but know. I have no desire, which I'm I've I again been in business for 2 weeks and it's funny how you hear all the different things. Are you going to franchise this? Are you going to Yeah, I mean it's rent again, the place next door. It's a, Are it's you going to be Yeah, right? <laughs> so but my point is is I I really like the size that we're at and I have owned other businesses and I think one of the biggest problems with business is when they try to grow too quick mm. or try to grow at all. Um I I'm going to stay here and okay. and then if it if it lasts for 3, we'll sign the lease for another 3 and then another 3 after that. Mm. And then after 9 years, then hopefully if it's going so great, then we'll sell it to somebody named JP. <laughs> <laughs> Just or somebody Yeah, here you go. Find so. find a French man named John Pierre. Yeah, there you go. This there fucking you go. guy can run the club. But that's now. I mean that is my uh those are my goals with that. Yeah, I mean that's pretty sorted like if, yeah. if if nothing else that's like pretty straightforward you know what you're trying to do here. Yeah. You you have an exit strategy and yeah. every, everything's clear so I mean that answers my question because <laughs> I was like 
maybe there is a possibility like um, you know if 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 the club is run in a certain way and i think that's the direction you're going in and it can keep growing and you get bigger and bigger tickets on the um well never on, say on never bill. but i mean right now that's where my mindset is yeah that that surely makes sense man so a comedy club owner but in a, in a past life yeah. you were a, you were an enforcer of the of the law of the constitution yes, i was a protector of the constitution i was so i uh, i grew up in the south side of chicago um married my high school sweetheart when i was 20 years old and uh, right after high school i went into the navy i was a navy guy for a couple years active duty and then mm. six years reserve ah. um so just for the navy before we yeah. move on um so what what made you uh not join join the what do you I call them? I, services armed forces I wish I had an honorable answer for you but my answer is not that honorable so I I don't come from a family that had a lot of money so um I really wanted to go to college and the navy offered an opportunity that if you did so much active duty time that they would pay for you to go to school and that was really the only reason I joined the navy hmm. um and I I did one uh 6 months uh, cruise in the the Persian Gulf when all that stuff happened. Yeah, but I was blessed. I didn't see anything or, or wasn't involved in combat of any kind. We were there, and it was technically during wartime, but nothing really happened when I was there. So this is like Desert Storm, or after that? I was in. You know, I always get asked that, and I don't even know the name of the campaign. Yeah, I'm not probably good about another, that. Another I was tacky in, name. Yeah, I was in from '93 to '95 as far as active duty. And then I was over in the Gulf in 94. So whatever campaign that was, I call it Desert Storm. But I've had a couple of veterans go, no, that was you know, <laughs> some some, nerd, some other thing. Some military. Yeah, like and nerd. I'm like, I don't know. All I know is it was over there. But I didn't see nothing. But we were technically there during wartime. Oh, wow. But uh, So uh, so you, you you say your answer is not going to be honorable. And, and you cited the reason that you cited. Yeah, but I, I went I, in for school. Now, I've spoken to so many guys who were an active military, not active, who, who were in the military, Marines, and, mm-hmm. and who were in the Army and Navy also. And nine out of ten times, that's the answer I get. Oh, for like for school? Yeah, they say yeah. like some something so effectively that, like for school or pay, or I was just mm-hmm. out of high school, I didn't know what to do. Right. You know, and, and some guy, I fucking forget who this is, but they broke it down very nicely. They They said that kids out of high school, like who are scared to jump into the real world and get a job and be on their own you know their their parents have taken care of them mm-hmm. they go to milit they go to the military and like you know whatever branch they're in now the the now the military becomes your mom and dad yeah, yeah. exactly that's probably the cliche and that's what i've heard like yeah. and it's overwhelming it's it's i really went for school and as soon as i got out of the navy um i came back from the navy and uh active duty and got married to my high school sweetheart and then i went to school and uh then I got on the police department when I was like 22 years old. Wow. How'd you go to school for? Um, I went to school for criminal justice in, in, I'm from Illinois, Chicago area. And at the time you had to have 30 credit hours to be, to apply for the police department I applied Mm. for. And so I went and got my 30 credit hours and then became a police officer. And then from there I ended up getting my bachelor's degree and master's degree. But, uh, I did police work for about 10 years and then I got hurt and, Hmm. And did other things. Okay, uh, so again, but I know you want to dig into police stuff, so I'll pause. <laughs> yeah. No, I do want to talk a little bit more about your time in the Navy. Navy, uh, okay. yeah, and and then kind of progressing sure. into the into the other thing. Uh, man, dude, like you're just like at sea, you're just fucking hanging out in the Persian Gulf. So it's kind of funny. They say join the Navy, see the world. They <laughs> sent me to Jersey. 
So I was in Jersey uh, for quite a while. And then from Jersey, they sent us over to the Gulf. Hmm. And then in the Navy, you do what they call cruises, which are about six months. It's a different kind of cruise. No chocolate yeah, fondues. No, not at all. <laughs> and then uh, once you come back from that cruise, you end up going back to your base. And my base at the time was in Jersey. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so a year and a half in Jersey. And then you do all kinds of like training. I mean, we went to a lot of places. We went to Cuba for trainings. And really, we Cuba? went to Philly in the shipyards where they um, like restored the ship at a certain point. But our base was New Jersey. We went to Norfolk, Virginia for training. But I only did one cruise. And that one cruise was, you know, you go through the Mediterranean and go around. Wow, and so, you, so you guys sail essentially from one of the New prettiest, Jersey. One of the prettiest areas I ever saw was when I was, um, I got to see some cool places. Because, again, even though we were technically on paper as at war, <laughs> we were stopping at all these different ports. Okay. So, I mean, I, as a kid, it was pretty cool. I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Yeah. But, I mean, I saw Italy and Greece, and we went to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, uh. which was amazing. But one of the prettiest areas I ever saw, and I heard it's even more amazing now, is Dubai. We went to Dubai. Uh, you guys went was, to Dubai, and this was, was back then, too. Yeah, and it was super cool, and I, yeah, I heard it's even crazier now. No, and that, and we're talking in 1994, so I'm sure a lot Dude, has happened. Dude, in 1994, yeah. it was a shit. I don't want to say shithole, like uh, kind of endorsing I what thought Trump it was said. amazing <laughs> then. No, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, when was I there? I think I was there 2017. 2017, I was there. Okay. Dude, that place is insane. Yeah. Like just... They, they have like indoor ski lodges and island houses on it, islands. It's madness. So they don't have yeah. any resources. They have dates and fucking oil. You know, you sell the oil, you eat the dates and you <laughs> build shit. Like that's oh, what gosh. you do. Uh, and there's problems to that. Again, that's like a whole other tangent. There's like semi-slave labor that is going on. South Asian, Indian, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi, Pakistani uh, people are like, you know, uh, fucking flew in from their countries. Their passports are confiscated. And then, they, you know, they work construction basically. So there's like a sad story to that too. Like everything, I don't think there's fucking any happy stories left to be told in the yeah. world. Everything is pretty sad, but Dubai is awesome. I like Dubai. Yeah, Dubai was nice. And then I really found Jerusalem and Bethlehem cool. We went to the Wailing Wall. We went to the Dead Sea. Hmm. I remember going to the Dead Sea, and I'm like, I don't know, 18 at the time. And obviously the Dead Sea's full of salt. Well, yeah. I was a stupid kid, and I had shaved that morning. Oh, dude, that oh thing stinks. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to die. Oh, it burned so bad. And then we partied in Tel Aviv after seeing all the religious stuff and then the night drink in Cap it Tel Aviv. Off. Cap yeah. it off in Tel Aviv. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, but really yeah, it was cool. I mean, that's the most uh, most travel I ever did when I was a kid. I mean, that's, that's fucking awesome, man. Like, so instead of like backpacking through Europe after high school, I joined the Navy and basically they, they helped me do it. You yeah, know, on yeah. their on their dime. So yeah, you just had uh, had to uh, you know, have the stomach to shoot a couple of motherfuckers <laughs> if it comes to it. <laughs> yeah, we ne- we never really saw nothing. I mean, we were, we were in a ship called an AOE four. I was mm. on a ship called USS Detroit AOE four, and basically our our mission as a ship was to supply the other ships. So our ship was always the farthest out, uh, and then we were the ones that gave them fuel and food. So we ate like kings because we always had the fu- food on the on the ship. So that that ship now is razor blades. They decommissioned it, and it's like sitting in Mexico uh, somewhere. But uh, yeah, you're like Steve Nash, just just assisting. <laughs> yeah, that that's all you guys. Are yeah. Doing. So what, what was funny though, and to this day I don't know the answer, is we would shoot missiles off into the in the into the sky, <laughs> and they would tell us that they were being shot off at um, barrels that were being uh, pulled by jets. 
and they were it was like a training exercise. Uh, now being forty five years old, I'm like, were we shooting barrels or were were those going somewhere? And I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I my my experience in the navy was you know paint and then paint the same wall again. I mean, I really. So just doing like uh, but I mean ship maintenance here on the yeah, ship. So you got to like keep the ship. Running I didn't and do floating. you know I only did two years active, so they're not going to give you the best of jobs. So I was pretty much like the janitor. It's called a boats and mate, and that was I'm pretty much What's a janitor. It called? The name of my rank or, or job, if you will, was called boats and mate. That was <laughs> my job. And mate. <laughs> um, and yeah, we cooked and cleaned, and that's all we did. We were janitors for the ship. Fucking crazy. But man. I have no regrets, man. I mean, I. I did take the risk. I mean, anything could have happened. Um, I just, I guess, got lucky, but it paid for school, and, and, and it's it grew me up fast. Yeah, definitely. You know? yeah, that'll, that'll fucking do you. Yeah, do it'll grow you. you up real quick. Mm. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's always interesting to me when people are just, like, at sea. Yeah. I, I have, like, a, a couple of cousins who uh, who work in the Middle East for uh, big oil rig companies, Aramco and, and, and things like that. And they just like live offshore, uh, on the fucking what a drilling unit for six months. I mean, how do you you should lose your fucking mind, dude? They I guess they get to uh, get get back onshore, uh, or rather offshore, uh, for a weekend here and there. But it's still insane. You're just like in in that bubble. It's almost like you're yeah. in space. Oh yeah, it's 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 a little like prison too when you're on the <laughs> ship that long. It's it's it gets a little claustrophobic. Prisony. Yeah. That's cool, man. So you you came back and you know you you got your life up and running and being, uh, being in the navy or kind of gave you a leg up and it gave you a little bit of a start, a little bit of a push to get going, and then you sat down and thought, okay, now the next thing I should do, you know, before I open up a comedy club in twenty years is <laughs> become a cop. Yeah, so I got out of the navy and I, again I married my high school sweetheart. She waited for me wrote me letters every day it was as cheesy oh, as you would think and yeah. she would fly over and see me when i was in jersey she even flew over and saw me in greece in the middle of our cruise mm. and uh so as soon as i got back we got married um we waited a while before having kids seven eight years i think after, before we had kids but i went to school and i'm a married man and i have to get a job and mm. my wife's dad was a police officer mm. he was a police officer for jesus 30 30 years he had been shot on the job his partner had been killed he's a war veteran i had a lot of respect for him i mean he's seen a lot of shit but at the same time i'm coming from a government job and what i liked about government work at the time is there's a check you know (laughs) no matter how hard you work you get a check every two weeks yeah the the, the u.s government's not gonna go under and coming back from the military it does change your mindset a little bit you're starting to feel you know in that realm and then meeting somebody that was a police officer and having that much respect for him. Um, I, I got the bug for that. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll study criminal justice in school. So I studied criminal justice and then started applying for police departments and I got hired and I got hired at 22 years old. I worked the street for about seven years of my career. And, and this then, is again in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. South side of Chicago suburb of that and pretty rough suburb. Um, but with that said, I worked uh, as a regular beat cop. So, I, you know, domestic violence calls, bar calls, you know, the typical stuff you think a cop goes to in a neighborhood. Yeah, when you call the police, that's what I do. Check out a homeless person every now yeah, and then. and all that kind of stuff and traffic stops and all that. And then I had about seven years on and then it was funny because they, they felt that my personality would have been good in the schools. How and do you mean? Like, 
I was always the nice guy. I know, I know, every, you know, people are like, oh, cops can be assholes. I was never that guy. I was the guy yeah. that would always let people yeah, like go. The fun guy. Yeah, I was cop. always friendly. I never really got in fights. I talked my way out of everything. I would race the calls before those guys, you yeah. know, because I would want to talk things down. I yeah. would disregard my backup at times because I would I knew that hey that one guy he always gets everyone riled up, yeah. And I think my bosses noticed that, so they put me in. And you'll probably find this funny. They put me in the the dare program, you know, the just say no to drugs stuff. <laughs> and I fucking loved it, man. I absolutely loved it. I became the PR guy for the police department. Oh, and then anytime we had like a media relations type thing or anything uh, involving talking to the public, yeah. I was that guy. So that's where you kind of get a little bit of your public engagement. Yeah, stuff and I from. it really was like when I started doing that. I was like, I like this more than the typical police stuff. Yeah. And I got so much shit from the guys. They're like, oh, you're not a cop anymore. You're like, or, you know, you're like the showboat guy in front or the clown that we put out there. In the yeah, clown you car. got like the. You know, so I'm they- handing, you know, I'm kissing babies and handing candy to kids. And I loved it. And, and I was giving presentations and crime prevention type presentations on stages all over the city. And, and I really, really got the bug for public speaking at that point. Not to mention I was involved in my church pretty early on and I would do, you know, youth pastor type stuff mm. and talking and volunteering in that way. So um, that was most of my police career. So I had about roughly 10 years on and I went to a training and the training was the taser. So you know what the taser is, right? And it's 50,000 volts of electricity and they tase you in the back and oh, they fine. tase you for five seconds. Look up my YouTube. My taser video is on YouTube and it's funny. I become very religious. I'm like, <laughs> oh Jesus. Um, but anyway, what happened during that exposure was I had a cop on each side and they tase you for five seconds. Well, he didn't mean it, but the guy on the right side didn't allow my arm to move when I got tased and it tore my shoulder up. Holy fuck. So because of that, I had to leave the dis- uh, the police department and I had to find another career. I, I can't, if you can't hop a fence, you can't be a cop. So I'm not going to lie. I got a little depressed and I was like, oh shit, I thought I was going to be a cop for like 30 years. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so this whole exercise though, uh, tasing, what's, what's the point of the exercise? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what they tell us and then I'll tell you my opinion of <laughs> okay. it. Okay. They're, so they, Police officers on their utility belt, if you will. Sounds like we're Batman, but we're not. We're not that cool. Um, you have like pepper spray, right? And you have taser. And, and their thought is that they expose you with the pepper spray so that if it's turned on you, you know how to react. Okay. 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 And then they also feel that way about the taser. You need to know <laughs> if you're going to tase somebody what this feels like and what you're doing to them. And then the argument from guys like me was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot us with our gun too? Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I was going to say next. And then, but they still do it. But what's funny is my, what happened to me with the taser and with how, what I, how I got hurt and I had to leave and it involved legal stuff. You know, I, it involved a lawsuit, a settlement, the whole bit. Basically sue the, I don't know, city. Yeah. Well, I, I sued two people. I sued the taser company and then I also sued the city and, they blamed it more on the city and the police officer and not the taser. But my point being is I was one of many that got injured during See, that training exercise. That is such a stupid exercise. I don't yeah, get it. And it's nationwide. So now my understanding, and don't quote me, but my understanding is now that police officers don't have to be tased. They have a, a choice to say no. Can you get a taser as a, as a private individual? I don't want to say 
this wrong. I think you can. You can get pepper spray and a taser as a private individual, but I just don't think it's at the level or the strength that mm. the police officers have it at. Yeah. Like it, the they give you a couple of grand, like twenty thousand volts. Instead yeah, of the I think 50. it's a different voltage, and I also think with pepper spray, it's a different uh, intensity. But mm. uh, I think I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you yeah. can walk in and buy a big ass gun. Like, I'm pretty sure you can buy. Yeah, and also, you know, I, we're in Arizona, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably could buy more than what the police have nowadays. So. Yeah, you can probably buy like an AR-15 with like tasers taped. That to it. was a weird thing for me coming from Chicago because when I was in Chicago at the time, like people couldn't have concealed guns or weapons out and stuff like that. I, I believe the laws have changed quite a bit over there, but when I came here to Arizona and people were wearing guns on their hip, <laughs> that really was weird to me. Yeah, walking into a Walmart yeah. with like a gun to Like I hip. was like reacting to that. Oh, dude, it's just you, normal life here. Dude, you got to imagine, you're a fucking cop, right? And then and that's when you moved here. So you, you got a little bit of shock. I moved here from India, like zero gun culture, no real gun culture at all. And I like you know show up at Arizona like in Arizona and people are just walking around with guns. You moved here from India? Oh wow! Yes, I did. Yeah. And you how? think you think I grew up in Phoenix and have this accent, dude? I'd be a very <laughs> bad Phoenician. <laughs> when did you move here? Uh, 2014. I moved here six years ago. Yeah. Oh my school. gosh. Okay. Yeah. Do they teach English in India? Yeah, I mean that's what I've learned. Because I mean, all my life. Yeah. Yeah. You. Uh, that's crazy. You, I mean, I would have never thought that. I just thought you. were grew up here and they had parents no, that and sound like you <laughs> <laughs> so I just like that was like the most racist <laughs> white thing to say <laughs> no I think there's more racist white things you can say kill all Indians that's a good one no that's a good uh, you're one of the good ones <laughs> so not all of them no yeah the, I mean English is, is pretty pretty commonly spoken in India and that's probably the the, the major medium of instruction in school Okay. Uh, people still study and learn in, in vernaculars and local regional languages. Okay. But only up to a certain point. Like after you're in like in a middle school, after that, the complex mathematics and science and all of that. Yeah, you gotta fucking you know okay. study that in English. There's no way to study that. Like China does it differently. Like Chinese, they you'll fucking code. You'll do everything in Chinese, right? All the up, all the way up to like the most advanced sciences. But that is not the same with India. And and that's obviously because you know the British were there and uh, English kind of became the official state language in terms of communication. There's like technically 26 official languages. Oh my gosh! But more or less, like English is pretty common. Okay. Yeah, like like some like my Indian friends from different parts of the country. I can't speak their language, so I speak in English with them. Okay. So it's just that kind of. It's thing. like different slangs and different. No, versions. no, it's a different language altogether. Altogether. It's okay. like in you know, a French and German. Oh wow! It's okay. That different. But yeah, so again, yeah, I did move here from India. What I was talking about the gun thing is, it's pretty shocking. It's a shock to the system that holy fuck, like, yeah. what's going to go down right now? Right. And the guy doesn't look happy. Like he's looking at me funny. Right. And you kind of make up all these things in your head. But obviously, like large majority of people who have guns, they're just fucking walking around with their gun because they like it. It's their toy. Well, and they think you know they need to keep themselves secure. I a lot of people think that because I was a police officer that I would be pro-gun and I'm not speaking on behalf of police officers I'm speaking on behalf of me I find it crazy because when I see a per at least a few encounters I've had I've seen people with the gun I'm gonna upset a lot of my conservative friends but my point is is when I see an old guy at breakfast with a gun on his hip and I can walk up and disarm that guy so quickly I feel like he's putting a danger in that situation yeah. He's not trained. He doesn't probably have a holster that locks or has a mechanism that makes it hard to be disarmed. 
So I just, I don't know. I'm not yeah. a big fan he's, of it. He's kind of wiping off that hash brown grease off his face yeah, and he I got rather, his gun. i rather see him conceal it than have it hanging off. Yeah, that's an interesting question though. Yeah. Uh, so what's some more free, like I guess the more uh, you know, um, gun, like uh, states that are freer about their gun laws, concealed is allowed or, or open? Open is the most extreme, like... Uh, case in states to me i'm not an expert at that i mean every state is different what's funny is i don't even own a gun people yeah. assume that i do i don't i have two teenagers at home and what my experience with guns and going on police calls is when a gun is in the house this is just my feeling is that it's it's an opportunity for violence and then you have like a domestic violence situation happen and then there's a gun in the house or you have a kid sneaking through the window and he didn't tell his parents that he was going to sneak out and go to the party and then they're shooting a kid. I really don't think that uh, the person breaking into the house in the scenario why they buy guns is, yeah. is the one that's the most common. Yes. And the biggest one is suicide. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I've seen too many things. It just scares me. Yeah. That once my kids move out or once they're a little older, maybe I would change my mind and and have a gun in the house again but right now i don't have a gun yeah that uh i mean that now I my dad is totally opposite he's got fucking <laughs> he's got 22 an guns and an arsenal and thinks like the british are coming i don't I, know so <laughs> dude yeah fucking if the british are coming i gotta arm myself <laughs> up to fuck them he's got like mp5s and ar-15 i'm like what are, what what is going on here yeah, i mean like f- He's the guy that bought all that toilet paper, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. my dad. Guns and toilet papers probably yeah. got canned food. But if if the shit goes down, he's probably the house I'm gonna run to. <laughs> yeah, like just keeping guns in the house. And you're right. Like if if you have a gun in the house, right? And depression obviously is common. People go through phases. Yeah. You may like pull the figurative trigger by by actually pulling the physical trigger because if it's right there and you're like in a slump. Yeah, and you have the gun. I mean, that's if not a good look, combination. If you look at statistics, most cops are killed by their own gun, by their own pulling the trigger. Oh, so it's like suicide. suicide. Yeah. Damn, dude, that's that's fucking super depressing. I mean, the, I guess uh, the argue, there is no real argument to be made about you know it's pro gun or or anti gun. Mm-hmm. It's it's more of uh, you know what do you want to do. Uh, well, that, do you want to have guns in your own house? Right. Do you live in a setting where you really need one? Because I, I guess if you live in a setting where shit is going down, you, you want yeah, to have Yeah, maybe I would feel quite different if I lived in a different environment. But I just, that's where I stand now with the kids. I just I just don't want to have a gun in the house yeah, with yeah, two teenagers. Yeah, if you're out uh, in the middle of nowhere, that also, like, you know, warrants for having some sort of weapon. Plus, I've seen my wife get upset and I don't want to, you know. I can, I can outrun knives from the kitchen, so I don't I don't want to. I don't know if she if you hurl a knife nice and fast enough, <laughs> you're not outrunning that shit, dude. She'd throw a Lego uh, or a racetrack at me. Remember those Hot Wheel racetracks? Just the whole racetrack. Yeah, yeah. That's my, mom, my mom would beat my ass with those racetracks. Jesus. Yeah, dude, I've I fucking you know gotten a lot of uh, <laughs> lot of ass whoopings from my mom and dad and brother and all of that. It made me a better person. Yeah, I think yeah. so, but there's a balance. I would definitely oh, yeah. say there's definitely yeah, a balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe again, not the whole racetrack, just a piece <laughs> of the racetrack. Yeah, I mean, if you like, get, if you get like super serious about it and super like you know technical and analytical about it, there's a lot of evidence that research and evidence that says you should not like even you know lift a finger. Yeah, you need to use something else. 
persuasion and all of that and it that's easier said than done i don't have a i have a child i'm like speak i don't have any children so i'm speaking yeah. from what i've read i think a lot of times it results into a parent to just it's a hard thing to say. I mean, I spanked my kids. I mean, not overly spanked, but I would, you know, tap their bottom if they were doing something wrong. But I think when you, if you're talking about child abuse and then seeing it on the police department investigating, and a lot of times it's it's people that are broken in their own way or they don't know how to oh. how to communicate effectively, and then their anger gets the best of them. And oh, then, of course. And then you're talking about crossing yeah, a line the, that's not cool. I mean, there's no there's no manual. There's no, like, test. You got to take a test to uh, no, uh, drive a car. People say you need to take a test to, to own a gun. There's no test to fucking yeah. own a child because no. that's what you do. You, you own for, a child. Yeah, you forgot to pull out, and nine <laughs> yeah, months later, the, there you go. Here's your fucking child, yeah. and, and thank you very much. Uh, we'll right. see you in six years right. when, when the fucking CPS, when CPS shows up because... Right. There's like that's there's no control over it, you know. And people have their own, they have autonomy, so they can have children, but they're not trained for it, and they have their own issues. So that's where you get child abuse from. But you, I, I do get like if you don't do anything, then uh, you know one of those shows like Doctor Phil has them on every yeah. now and then. There's a kid who's like completely disrespecting the mother, right. and like I was watching this one clip where like she. The mother's like, Timmy, don't do that. Don't talk to me like that. And Timmy fucking, mom, you're a bitch. And just fucking backhanded the oh, mother. Oh, like my on, gosh. On national television. See, now that's where I'm like, dad would probably beat the shit out of that kid. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> So no. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, you got to do something. I don't know what you got to do. And that's yeah. on national television. Dr. Phil probably made a couple of million out of that. Just like that one moment. Yeah. I have two boys. I have a 16-year-old now and a 17-year-old. I got good oh. kids. I got lucky. So, But I, I like to say they were raised right. Mom did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. That's uh, that's really good. So so this whole situation that you're describing, you had that incident with the, with the taser. Yes. Right? That's where we were at. Uh, so so ta- from there. So taser incident, and that, that was your out? Or did something that else? was the end of my career, yeah. So roughly 10 years, and then I had to redefine myself. Oh man, like that, that, I mean, like you're saying that would have bummed you out, right? And like, yeah, I mean, you were probably, you're I, probably mentally prepared to say that, okay, this is my, going to be my career. This yes. is how I'm going to retire. I definitely went through like a, a, a phase of depression. I was like, what am I going to do? I have to, I have to be a provider. I have to help my family. And this was my identity. So my tra- did you want me to, what I taught, what I did from there? Yeah, no, no, yeah, for sure. What yeah. happened? That, so, you know? so from there, what the police department gave me was a knowledge of security, a knowledge of understanding law enforcement, and also at the end of my career, kind of doing a lot of public speaking type of engagements because of the whole school programs that I was in. So from that, um, I got recruited by an ADT home security dealership, and they said, hey, you know, we'd love to have you sell home alarms to our leads because of your background. Yeah. So within six months, I was like with the top ADT home security salesman in the country. Goddamn. And I was like, uh, you know what? I could do this myself. I don't need ADT. So we opened up a family shop and started selling home security. And then that's really been what pays the bills for me. And I like it because it's, again, it's public speaking. It's more proactive than reactive. And, uh, it's, it's been a really good thing. And then, like I said, and then that transition, kind of what we talked about earlier going into comedy was the business started running itself. Yeah, and then sure. I just wanted a hobby and Comes back comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then comedy just kind of, uh, 
filled that void. Yeah, these these security, like you know, um, I don't know, you want to call it devices, systems, mm-hmm. security systems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are like almost like a like you're saying about the proactive, and we were talking about guns. Yeah, this is a good deterrent, right? Like if you, if you have home like security. a yeah home security system. Yeah, at the end of the day, you got to look at if you're worried about your house or your business getting broken into, it's a statistical odd that you're playing. So, how do you lower that statistical odd of being broken into? If you have a security system, if you have cameras, if you have just a sign in your front yard, or you have a dog, or you have fencing that's higher than your neighbors, you know, whatever that looks like, a lock on your gate. If you, the more of those things you do, that's going to lower your chances of being. Yeah, he's going to pick the next crime. guy or next house right. over. Yeah. Um, you know, things that I say on my consultations to clients is like, you know, you have good lighting around your house or, you know, keep the TV on or the radio on when you leave. If you can make it sound like somebody's home, they're typically not going to want to break in. And typically, if they do break in and you have a security system and they hear that audible noise, they're typically going to be very quick in what they do yeah. or they're going to take off. Dude, that shit is loud as fuck, oh, yeah. though. Like, I've, I've been in one of those. I was not breaking into any place people listening at home yeah right <laughs> but yeah I, I started this new job right and they have that system it's a small office yeah, yeah. You know, like a dozen people work there so i i showed up earlier than everybody because it was my first day and uh, or rather it was first week uh so i just had the key card so i beeped in and i went in but there was a code i didn't know about the code nobody told me about the code they just gave me the key card i go in and this blaring like deafening sound like very high pitched yeah like I don't think people know anybody can like actually function and like try to you because it 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 makes you incoherent. Like you have to you either like run away or you just yeah. like panic and yeah. Freeze. Unless they're on drugs, but again they're gonna take off. And I do I think it's a deterrent. But it's really nice for me to talk about being full circle coming from police work where it's so reactive and you're just going to call to call to call because people are calling you to them and they're not calling you on their on their good days or calling you on your bad days. Oh man. Yeah. So it's nice to be on the other end of that and be like, okay, this is what we can do to try to prevent this bad thing from happening at your house or business. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. I yeah. hadn't thought about it like that, like as a cop or like most things, even like something silly, like if you're like a customer care, like call center guy, nobody's calling you because they love oh. the product. Well, that's why I think you see the stereotypical cop that has anger issues or, or is depressed or, um, you know, they don't see, you don't see the kind part of humanity, you know, you just don't. And when you're seeing terrible stuff every day, and I even found myself going through that, I, a quick story to kind of back up a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, for I'll sure. never forget this. I, I had seven years on the job and I was working with a guy that one night he had about 25 years on the job. And I, we were in this neighborhood, and I said, "Man, everyone in this fucking neighborhood's scum." I go, "They're all suck. I hate, I hate this place." And you start to feel that way because that's all you're doing. And I'll never forget what this old timer said. He, he goes, "He goes, Jim. He goes, how many houses are in this subdivision?" And I said, "I don't know, two, three thousand." He goes, "We go to the same fifteen fucking houses every night." Yeah. He goes, two thousand, three thousand of these people are good people," and that was that was a good thing to tell a young cop because you start to, you start to go crazy. You start to think everyone is bad. 
And I think that's why I loved the dare program. And then I loved opening a home security company because I got to see the kind part. Again, yeah, it's positive. And yeah. again, you're doing the proactive. And then thing. I would go have a beer with the guys that are still on the job. And then they're all fucking hate the world and pissed off and everything. You yeah. Know? I mean, I kind of the whole, the, the, the minority of people who are like, uh, who are trouble or who cause trouble or who happen to have caused trouble also goes back to the social media thing is yeah even on social media and then it's not only our conversation or our like local comedy community even talking at large right in the united states as a country people say so much toxicity everybody hates each other and i mean that is again exacerbated by social media mm-hmm. and then i think i think it would be so important though for for people that hate the police so much to actually do a ride along for like 30 days just yeah. to see the perspective of what they see. Now, that does not mean that there's not bad apples, and that does not mean that there's not a lot of bad things. Um, we haven't talked about this, but I had to, I had a job where I had to deal with corrupt police officers. I had a call one time. Um, look this up. Have your listeners look this up. Uh, Google it. It's Eddie Hicks. Eddie Hicks was a big a case that I was, the biggest case I was ever involved with. Mm. So I got a call one night of um, a burglary in progress. And we go to this call and we think it's a burglary in progress. We get there and there's four cops there and they're serving a warrant. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, next time you serve a warrant, they show us the warrant. Everything looks good. We're like, next time you serve a warrant, let us know because we had no idea you were here. Neighbors called in, thought you were breaking into a house. Long story short, next day we find out the warrant's bullshit. Yeah. They're corrupt cops. They're shaking down drug dealers and shaking them down for their money and their drugs. Mm. And my point is those are the police officers that people should be hating on the bad ones. Yeah. I had to go back and testify against those guys and make sure that they were indicted and, and held responsible. Um, I was even offered witness protection. That's how high end this case Jesus. was. But my point is, is that what's saddening to me in our current environment is that, when you hear people say all police are horrible, all police suck, they're they're all terrible. If you hate on all of them and you're going to hate on the good ones too, I don't think that is a good mindset to 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 have positive change that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, hating on all of them is uh and I've it, never had a use of force complaint against me in my history of being on the police department. Yeah. But and, but but I have people that'll say, "Oh, you're a cop, you're an asshole, you're you're scum, you're a bastard." And it's like, "No, I was I was one of the good guys and I've testified against the bad guys. Yeah. So you hate on all of them. It's just, it's, it's a sad thing to watch. And what's funny is a lot of those people, not all, and I don't want to say this wrong because I'm not talking on behalf of all police officers. I'm talking on behalf of my feelings. A lot of times what they're wanting, they're doing the opposite of what they're wanting. And they're continuing this the cycle, the cycle or or the cop circle of, of hate. You're saying these, uh, uh, these corrupt cops are doing what they're hating or you're talking about the people who hate no, cops? No, even the people that hate cops that mm. are protesting against cops. Like with the whole protesting, to give my opinions on that, and I'm sure there's people that disagree. I think that there's three types of protesters. This is my feeling. You have your peaceful protesters that are really have a message. They believe in it. If we agree or to disagree, that's okay. And I have no problem with those peaceful protesters. And then I think there's a second group. I think there's a group of young people that are just taking advantage of opportunity to loot and to damage things. And I don't agree with that. 
And then I also think there's a different group that has a whole different agenda that's hiding behind the peaceful protesters that are really anarchists that are really trying to do something terrible. And what's a shame is I feel that way about um, uh, the Muslim religion and like uh, people, uh, terrorists. Like you, you have terrorists that'll hide, in my opinion, behind the Muslim religion. There's nothing wrong with the Muslim religion. Most Muslims are great people. But my point is you have a group of people that are hiding behind those, those, those kind of good groups that are doing terrible things. Yeah. And I was going to bring up the analogy of Islam and Muslims because I mean, it's a little cold now. A lot of other things are going on. So I say like I, one of my new bits, I say, you know, the, the heat is off of the muzzies for a second. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the coronavirus was not started because somebody ate a bunch of uh, red pepper hummus. <laughs> it would have been a problem. Right. So, so like people who say, you know, all cops are bad or all cops are evil or ACAB, all cap, cops yeah. are bastard. It's pretty much the same thing where people are saying all all Muslims are terrorists. Right. It's kind of analogous. Uh, there is a little bit of a slight difference there and people are pretty quick to point out that you know, cops chose to be cops and Muslims didn't choose to be Muslim, which is not really true in both cases. I mean, what is really choice? But people kind of end up being cops. It's not like, you know, the, I don't think a large majority of them were like passionate that I'm going to become a cop and I'm going to beat uh, people in the inner city. Well, like, it's funny. Really one of, one of, that. The, one of the other reasons I became a police officer, and I don't want to get too, too down this path because, again, it's depressing, is in the 70s when a police officer responded to domestic violence, they didn't do anything. They would say, you guys are married, handle it. And I was that kid that saw the police come to my house every other day and watch my mom get very abused by my biological dad. And what I hated was those police officers that did nothing. And there was a small part of me where that kid came out when I joined the police department and said, you know, I'm not going to be that cop. I'm going to be the guy that helps that woman that's battered and helps that kid that I see that's, that's being, um, has to witness such horrible things. So my point is, is that, we don't all have bad intentions, you know. Yeah, I mean, it would be silly to think that an entire swath of people have right. has uh, no, they have bad intentions. Uh, and the other so, yeah, argument, I joined a cop. Because I wanted to become a police officer because I wanted to become a police officer. Yeah. but my intentions were good, and yeah. and they finished well. I see. Yeah. Except for the tasing, that's a well, no. <laughs> yeah, a, that that didn't work out. Yeah. But I mean, as far as. I'm I'm happy about what my records are. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back to you know you broke down the protests and I know largely I guess that is what's going on. The third category it's a little more mysterious. The first two categories yes. is pretty clear. You know there's a bunch of people who who have have this this issue with the system so they're using their first amendment rights. They're going out and protesting and that's the whole point Absolutely. of having the first and amendment I would, right. And I remember protecting those people and, and because I'd be the police officer, you know, standing in front of them as they did their process yeah so that so that is there and there's people looting and rioting and i think that's uh i i would chalk that up more to uh naivety and just young people full mm-hmm. of adrenaline you know they, they're and like me, fuck it let's crash and burn this is awesome fuck this and there's also i'm not to speak on the other side and play my own devil's advocate is i don't understand their plight i i, I don't want to say that i do i don't want to say that i understand a certain culture that i'm not from and they may have very good arguments to what I just shared. 
but that's just kind of how i feel about it at this time yeah and and that's where i i feel like you know just having this podcast even and we do comedy and we make jokes and all of that and and i'm all for also having like light fun conversations on the podcast but i do like genuinely want to sit down and talk to people from all walks of life mm-hmm. and 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 get their opinion because that's the only way to do it and i think the whole old uh, art form is just people sitting down and talking for the fuck of it yeah. is is uh, is i don't think that's a, that's a little unrealistic this this whole facade of the podcast uh i think helps facilitate the the fact that okay now you and i are sitting down and talking i don't think we would have spent the hour a little over an hour talking like this no, if it was not for the recording device yeah, and we'd the be whole t- thing. telling dick jokes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that or we wouldn't be sitting now. We'd be talking just right. in passing, and like you know, when we meet at shows or, or yeah. at the club or something like quick, that. Yeah, yeah how we, are you? That's exactly, it. you wouldn't yeah. sit down, and you wouldn't have the opportunity to do that. So I want to like keep talking to different types of people yeah. that I know from my circle or that I would like to know. So that's kind of you know, again, the whole conversation part of it, and people voicing their opinions. And again, rioters, looters. I kind of get it, and I was part of a riot, and then that's a fucking different story. I was part of a riot when I was in college in in India, not here. Uh, so I, I get it. Like if if a hundred, if a thousand people start fucking, you know, shattering the <laughs> the glasses, it's in a, a mob mentality. Oh, dude, you there's fucking a, have fun. I was having fun. I yeah, was like fucking. There's laughing a and psychological thing that happens. So it's it's. I I wouldn't like fucking sit down and morally judge people who do that because I get it. You can get swayed by it. Prob probably not right. Obviously not right to destroy mm-hmm. somebody else's property. Right. Um, and the 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 riot I was in the, a part of in in my college. It was like a small college in the city uh, in India. Um, it. Like a student had killed himself. Oh. Uh, he had hung himself in his oh. room. It's pretty unfortunate, obviously. Uh, and everybody was pissed that nobody was addressing that in the school. Nobody was talking about it, and they're trying to like push it under the rug. Okay. Now they're like trying to be very super silent. Like he died in the dorm rooms, like in the room, like he hung himself, oh. and they had to take his body out. Uh, and and what they did, uh, college to like I guess to. to maintain reputation and d- didn't want this to get out they didn't want to talk about it almost so some of his friends just lost it and they just went to each and every class started yelling that this is bullshit you can't do this and before you know it there's like a thousand like probably more than 1000 even uh, mm. kids just outside the classes all the classes suspended everybody's on on i guess the streets the little fucking uh, streets within the college campus and there's one guy like and he starts hurling stones mm. uh, and and like you know little those plant pots you know those pots mm-hmm. yeah little fucking plants and they you have those along the side of the streets like people started hurling those oh boy uh, towards the fucking principal's office mm-hmm. we have a principal and and colleges and we don't have deans and that just set something off and everybody's rioting and they did have to call the cops mm-hmm. and like everybody's pushing on the cops too mm-hmm. and it was like a whole fucking thing so i get it again it was i was It's really shitty, but I was like 19 then, and I was uh, fucking having the time of my life, just laughing. I know there was no f- immediate physical danger to me, and mm-hmm. I, I knew that because it was pretty safe. It was within the college; they wouldn't like hurt the students within the college. Mm-hmm. So I went all out, and and after that we went out, fucking got a burger and and <laughs> and fucking drink, and yeah. everything was great. So that's not like model behavior, but what I'm right. saying is the right. They call the, the the term is called mom mentality. Course, If you yeah. look it up, yeah, it's a whole psychological thing that people will jump into. Yeah. Um, but it can get scary. 
Oh, yeah. And like, especially in the real world, like it can keep like in different scenarios. I was in a very yeah. controlled environment and I look back at it and I think what a dumbass I was. But like, you keep stretching it out to like a real world scenario. You like look at Portland, what's happening there, people fighting. It can get real dangerous real fast and people will lose their lives. But, you know, again, to play devil's advocate to even the stuff that I said, you know, I that doesn't mean that I, I'm, I think there is police reform that needs to happen. I mean, there is things that needs to happen. I think one of the things that I disagree that police, you, when you get hired as a police officer, you have to go through so much testing. You have to take psychological exams. You have to take all these different tests. You have to be in shape. And what I think doesn't happen enough is that there's not periodic checks to see if, that police officer's mentality has changed. Has he become hardened? Has something happened that he's seen that now he's looking at things through a different set of eyes? And I think it's important to kind of get a baseline of these police officers. And, and if you see red flags, to get them out of there. But, the, but the, the scary thing on police work is that if you tell them, at least when I was on the job, I don't know where, you know, I haven't been on the job since 2004, so maybe things have changed. But what I can say is that at least when I was on the job, like if you admitted, hey, I'm depressed, you know, you immediately got your gun taken away. You immediately didn't they send have you your home. job. They send you home. They give you a desk Without job. Pay, yeah. So guys will bottle up a lot of stuff. Guys will turn to alcoholism or whatever that looks like. So I do think that those processes can be changed. And then there's a, there's a term called community policing where, you know, the police officers get to know their community better and get to work the same beat and get to know the business owners and get to know their areas more. Um, I do wonder, and it's and every city is different. Every town is different. Every boss is different. Every team is different. So I don't know the reality of trying to make that uniform throughout. Throughout, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it has to be uniform. It has to be like in a context uh, dependent Something. on the place. Yeah. Yeah. So you so, and then as far as these terrible things that you see with people getting killed by the police, right? The only thing that I would say is that I think it's so important that if if you're in a situation with a police officer, my advice would be, regardless if you agree or disagree with that police officer, to comply with their commands. Because a lot of times, if you don't comply, that's when things get really shitty and weird and then tempers get lost and people get hurt. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm justifying what's happened in any of those situations but i do think that there'd be less issues if people just complied even if they disagreed have your day in court and just do what the cops telling you to do have your day in court but don't argue back or resist or or run away or grab at them and stuff like that i just i don't know if i'm saying those words right i hope people hear my heart and 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 understand what i'm trying to yeah. say but i just think if there was more compliance even when we disagree there'd be less incidences mm. i really truly think so, that and in terms of incidences like there's roughly a thousand people a year that i think are killed uh, in police interactions mm-hmm. and this is i don't think this is counting police officers this is just uh, civilians a thousand civilians a year and i was like looking at these charts obviously this thing has been in new- in the news pretty much uh, since since May since the you know the death of George Floyd and that has been the yeah, focus and there's not a cop that I know in the world that would agree with what that police officer did to that man I mean he's not a police officer to me and he should be 
put in jail for murder and convicted. Yeah. I mean, the way that he handled that situation and the George Floyd situation is, is God awful. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know anybody in my circle of law enforcement that agrees with how that man handled yeah. that. So call. the guy's on trial now, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't been following you. it. Um, is he on trial? Yeah, I would think so. And like, th- yeah. this is the fucking news cycle, and there's so many different things. The yeah. other instance, and there's other that have so happened. many other things that have happened now. Yeah, and then this is out of the news cycle. So the whole thousand uh, people number, and I've checked. I've not done like any sort of deep research on this, but thousand people are killed in the U.S. And the second highest country is like disproportionately low. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's a little bit of a data collection issue. Um, no, maybe countries, uh, you know, which which have a little bit of a rogue. I mean, people say the 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 police in the U.S. is rogue, but maybe there's you know strong dictatorships, strong men running it, which may be even worse. But we don't want to compare uh, you know the yeah. United States to that. A thousand people in the Western world, like probably highly disproportionate like in your opinion you know you've been in the you've been in the force and all of that why do you think that number is so disproportionately high i don't know the answer to that i don't know i i think it's a lack of my my gut goes back to what i said before is i really think that there needs to be continual testing within a person's career i think you go through so much in the beginning to make sure you're qualified but people change and i don't think I think that if they consistently looked at the mindset of people, but you know what? I think too, and this just came to my mind too, is that I think it boils down to money because it is so expensive to hire a police officer, train them and finally get them out on the street. And then if you got a guy and you're testing everybody every year, every two years, every three years, and you have a percentage of your, police officers that you have to let go because they're not mentally stable no, anymore. So you're just losing it costs money. money yeah. You know, it costs money, costs cities money and budgets and everything else. But there's definitely something that needs to happen, but I think that would be a good first step. Yeah, so right now as it stands, and obviously every city is different, but more or less the standard is that you go through all your evaluations when you get hired, at least you, uh, when you went through this. Yeah. You get like psych evals and uh, maybe probably a few other physical tests and well, all that. Well, even like being in shape. I mean, how many times have you seen police officers that are really out of shape? It's like, yeah, and, and they they should be held to a standard of being able to, run and hop fences right yeah so but i don't so, i don't make those decisions and yeah no the people who do make those decisions probably have very little uh breathing room in terms of yeah what they and can then do. they have budgets that are assigned to them and and i don't know it's it's kind of sad the money's the root of all evil they say yeah i mean like the see any any sort of a government project any sort of government math government accounting it's it's all funny business like i've i've like worked with clients who when i state of california like a certain department in state of california i've worked with government clients in back in india too like dude like government government accounting and math is funny math like they just whenever if they have a surplus like i've heard like instances and i think this was in in the military oh no sorry this was in one of the police departments a friend my friend of mine works at they had a surplus so they just bought like 25 uh, led tvs (laughs) <laughs> because they, they they didn't want to fucking you know uh, quote the surplus, it's like a fucking bad sitcom. 
Yeah. And they just bought 25 TVs just for the fuck of it and they they, they gave it to like different people and did oh, what wow. they needed to do with it. And that's where inefficiencies come in. Yeah. You could like make the spending process more efficient by making it, you know, making everything transparent, mm-hmm. making everything accountable. You know, maybe just, uh, and, and I kind of work in this space a little bit like in terms of technology, using technology to, to, uh, uh, track investments and track finance using blockchain you know to to immutably store store information you could fucking make a system where say just pick a small police department just say tempe pd and you could have all their budget and all their spending on the blockchain everything Mm. that goes in all their accounting there can't be any funny business because everything that goes into the blockchain it's there forever always you can't be released, can't be tampered with, can't be done anything with mm-hmm. it. You can make corrections by adding like appending entries and what you want to do, but it will be completely transparent. But who's going to like, is that people going to buy it? Are people going to be like, okay, I I will volunteer and make this all transparent if you take it back to the money. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, like something's got to be done. You can't just like train people once because if you need to be a nurse, you need to like update your certifications right. every other year, every three years. If you need to be like, you know, if you want to contract with the city to be like a civil engineer building bridges, you got to keep up with your certifications. Well, even on a police department, they make you take, you know, you have to, on your firearm, you have to qualify every so often. And on your stuff that's within your your tools on your belt, you have to qualify for all those stuff. Mm. But where's the qualification continuously yeah. with your mental capabilities. You think that that should, like, there's also, like, a case, like, floating around uh, suggestion is it, the police officers should do it at their own cost if they want to be a police officer. It's their vocation. They want to be a police officer. So they should, like, fucking eat the cost. For the mental part Yeah, of for everything, like, just to keep up with, like, just the whole example of a nurse. Uh, she, They have to, like, you know, gonna pay the pay the whatever fee is to keep up with that certification so whatever that i don't think like cops make enough money um, yeah I, there's from not what i understand of, not a ton yeah so I, I i feel like that should be just something that should be allocated within a police department's budget and not you know new lights on cars or the latest squad you know yeah 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 get new squads a, another wait a year or two and get your guys checked out yeah again and that goes back to like transparency and accountability if people can like move some money around and that's where the corruption comes in oh yeah and trickle like funnel in a little bit here a little bit there Mm -hmm. people will do it because people are corruptible right yeah but but the main problem right now that everybody is talking about you know there's the money thing and you know people are not trained there's you know they're psychologically unstable in cases because you're saying the incentives are not aligned to make them psychologically stable. Yeah, the not, at least are, when I was on. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't think much. I has think I take the leap to say I'm yeah, not much has yeah. changed. But this charge of racism, right? Obviously, like th- there's there's a sense that uh, police officers are disproportionately, you know, racist towards African Americans, and that's where police brutality is always like directed to minorities specifically african-americans and i'm not gonna like ask you to weigh in really like in terms of you know do you think that is the case but like when you worked in chicago right Mm -hmm. and you probably worked with a lot of cops and you moved around in different like you know sub departments i guess within the force 
did you get a sense of of there being any ill will some people and actually having that kind of sentiments just from a first person experience you know it'll sound like i'm being politically correct i i must have been very lucky i just i didn't work in a circle of of guys that or gals that felt that way i never saw that and and then it's sad when you see it so much when you watch the news and stuff sometimes i wonder how much the news is feeding us and how biased it is and how much they choose to focus. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I went to a school that was 98% African-American. My prom date was African-American. I dated African-American girls. I don't have a part in me that is racism or racist in any way. Um, But what I can say is that, and I hope this doesn't come out the wrong way, but if I worked in a, not me, but I can tell you I've seen this mentality. <clears throat> if I worked in an area that was all white trash and I worked it for six months and all I got called to was white people yeah, that are terrible. Trailer park trash like Ozarks. I'm like, going to start not liking white people. And then all of a sudden if I get put in a situation where the people are a different ethnicity and I'm always there and I'm always there and I'm always there. And all you see is the bad part of that. You start to feel a little biased. I don't think it's unreasonable to see that, but um, all I can say is I didn't see that. I mean, I, I mean, people have their, their prejudices and their biases, but I've never saw it openly happen in the circle that I worked in. Hmm. So. Yeah, to to your point of if you if you're in like a certain environment where you're seeing crime for from uh, or the same from a specific group, yeah. and I, I guess as a human, your mind would be swayed and you'd become prejudiced, and then you're in like a completely different situation where it's not the case, and and now you're kind of antagonizing this person, this black person, because you you I don't know whatever part. You know, just say Chicago, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're in like in parts of Chicago where you had all these calls where, uh, where you're dealing with black people all the time, and now you're in a different place, different context, and you see a black person, and something in your brain is fires off, and now like you're doing things that you wouldn't typically do. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, but so what I can say is that I never suffer from that. Sure, I. I would treat people based on the situation. I also worked midnights for years. So a lot of, I, I'll never, I told a joke and this will probably come across wrong, but I remember pulling over this lady. She was going like 70 miles an hour. It was two o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black outside. I pull her over and I walk up and, and she says, Oh, you pulled me over cause I'm black. And I remember saying to her and I got in trouble for it. I said, ma'am, it's two o'clock in the morning. Everyone's black. And of course she <laughs> called my boss and whatever, oh God. but it's true. It's, it's like, there was an assumption on the other side that I was picking on her based on her race. And that was the farthest thing. It was like, no, you're going 70 something miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. Yeah. Um, so I only could speak of my own experiences and how I treated people and how the people I worked with treated people. Yeah. And, and that's the only, that kind of paint uh, the picture that I was painting at using what you described as a jumping off point so they they so there's a cop xyz who's who's you know spent say 10 years in south side of chicago and then uh, you know they've been answering calls and they've been interacting with a lot of black people and and those are the calls that they've been answering and now you're saying like somehow unconsciously there is something in their head now and maybe semi 
consciously or even consciously something is there in their head where they're like you know they have uh, an inclination to to treat uh, you know black people differently when they interact with them i don't know if i completely agree with the how the, the mechanism of how they get to it mm-hmm. um i'm guessing there's other factors at play culturally they've been told well, and, and how and were the they raised yeah, and the, the, yeah. the cultural narrative where did they grow up societal narrative of okay the, the, this is the good good group and this is the bad group that all uh, accounts to it so but besides the point however they got to that place of prejudice both of us agree now that there is some level of prejudice that exists I for it, one or the other reason i think at a time happens for me i was fortunate i mean i grew up around a lot of minorities and different cultures so for me it wasn't i i didn't treat people of different cultures differently because it didn't it didn't seem different to me yeah so so yeah and so my kind of point being then like how do you solve for that like a million dollar question obviously we are not going to solve that setting here in the yeah. in the back uh, back room at <laughs> JP's comedy club I wish I knew the answer No but that is that is I like think a, it's important I think what I hear on the news is when you see a police officer that's getting disciplined consistently for certain situations and is showing a a tendency to be a certain way I think the disciplinary response needs to be better at some police departments because sometimes when you hear these incidences of police officers that are that are using brutality or use of and have use of force problems and they, force, yeah. and they have a history of it and then it's like okay well why why is he still on the street and like I said I never had a use of force complaint against me but you you'll hear incidences where guys have five six of them and then it's like well no shit that happened yeah again that goes back to the cost of having them on the foot and yeah why aren't they being disciplined and it does it go down to money and they don't want to hire i don't know i can't i think one that. like i mean the most rational like uh, dots i can connect here it, it is because of the money so like yeah. like in my mind i'm trying to reconcile all of this like so there there are people out there obviously who have prejudices Mm-hmm. who like and I hate a certain group there's probably a TSA agent who hates like and you know, people who look like me maybe <laughs> not i don't know so this people who have different kinds of prejudices and sometimes prejudice is a very uh, soft way of putting it you know there's probably like you know direct overt hate even you know you hate a certain group and those people are out there right what proportions i don't know so but there are people out there so there is something that needs to be done to solve that and and the point of like having more checks and balances about who's walking these streets i'm pretty sure there's like a million ways to find out even like asking people to answer a simple questionnaire you can fucking get, understand a lot about that person just by that like psychology like the just the discipline of psychology i think has evolved enough where the i can hand you like a 10 10 question questionnaire yeah or uh, talk to you for 10 minutes and as a fucking whatever trained behavioral psychologist and you could probably tell a few things wouldn't yeah, you yeah the problem is the people that purposely lie on those tests to tell you what you want they think you want to hear yeah what and i would like to manipulate those <laughs> tests yeah what i would like to believe is the, sh- the test should be ironclad like kind of account for that mm. that the question is not the question the question is something else mm. and maybe i'm being a little bashful here but i would fucking want i would want to say that that can be done it's not for the lack of uh, availability it i think the lack, lack what of I, intent what i can tell you is i think it depends on the doctor that's evaluating the police officers it depends on the level of intelligence and the level of schooling they have i've i've witnessed where 
you'll have a, a psychological company that is contracted out for a police department that seems to pass a majority of people. And then you have one that's very, very strict and they're good at their job. So they need to be evaluated even. Is, okay. they, Where's this going to fucking end? Then yeah, you have the evaluation of the evaluator. Right. Of the evaluator. But it's, it's true. It's like, and, and, and what's the incentives of them passing and failing people? Because yeah. they're charging for everybody that's getting tested. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's a little conspiracy theory-ish, but... I mean, it's not really conspiracy yeah. theorist. I think it's like you're trying to map out the incentives here. I I just think it all boils down to money. Yeah. I really do. Dollars I think it's that cents. simple. That is true. I mean, so there is this problem, clearly, that is going on here. There's a race-related problem, and then there's just an overall... You know, police uh, excessive use of force by police problem uh, that is exclusive to the United States from the, from the data information I've seen. It is disproportionate uh, in what is going on with the U.S. and that probably has to do with you know how guns are like uh, unanimous, not unanimous, are omnipresent in 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 the United States. So that kind of, I guess, uh, accounts for some of it. And you need to solve for it. And to solve for it, you need resources. You need money and you need people with the right intentions spending mm-hmm. that money. If you just funnel more money into a broken system, mm. I mean, it's just going to be more money to funnel out for people who want to do that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of broken systems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's it, man. I did want to talk to you about all of these things, you know, about the yeah. club and, you know. About well, I think the-, the circle probably makes more sense, right? So I grew up in Chicago, was the Navy guy, became a cop, and then did did uh, public speaking and then the comedy thing. Oh, I, of course. The circle probably oh, makes yeah. sense. But, I mean, life now is about transitioning to a balance of everything. And, and, and my focus is my family, my kids, my wife. Yeah, my church and volunteering and uh, my normal business with the security company and paying the bills and then trying to do something here that is in a way to give back to a craft and an art that I that I admire. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, man! You did you did a fucking recap right there. That nah. was a re- that was a recap. <laughs> that's your summary. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a recap. If there was ever one, <laughs> and I don't think any of my other episodes have had that concise <laughs> of a recap. Wow. So yeah, this podcast was a recap of your life, and that that recap was a recap of the podcast. So a little bit of a recursion yeah, going on there nice. too. I do appreciate you having me though. No, this no. was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was and def- it was it was kind of cool to get to know you on a different level because mm-hmm. you're right. It's so um, it's so on the surface and every time I do a bug podcast, I'm like, Oh, I, I get to know you a little bit different. Yeah, so of course. Good. Yeah. That, that's what it is. Get man. to know that, people's hearts. That's absolutely. Cool. And that's, that's why I'm, I, I'm doing this. I think it, it kind of feeds a little bit of my, my ego and my, like, you know, whatever's inside me that the, 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 the right. vacancy that you talk about the void, it fills a little bit of that. And I think it, it gets me to sit down and, and talk to people in an elaborate setting in, in a very calm, there's no pressure to be moving and hustling. There's yeah. no pressure to be rushing, which I really like. You let ideas uh, simmer and brew for a little bit. And that's what I like about it. And I, I'm glad I sat down and talked with you too. It was it was very enjoyable, like, you know, the, like learning about you. And I was happy that I could get your opinion on some of these more yeah, sensitive sure. topics of what is going on in this country 
uh, guy you're coming from the background being a police officer and yeah all and of I, I I can't say enough that I I don't want anyone to feel that I'm speaking on behalf of all police officers these are the opinions I have at this current time and it does not mean that if I'm presented different information that I'm not willing to change the way I feel about certain yeah, things yeah I mean dude like I have no fucking idea I, I got here <laughs> yesterday you know what I'm saying like I got yeah. here in this country in like 2014 that's right. nothing uh, so I don't know I'm just trying to fucking learn and navigate this country uh, I, I've what I had learned about America was through pop culture before this and I get here then it's not far <laughs> the apple has not fallen far from the tree I mean that's what goes on here right. and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to understand and learn it's a fascinating country and just uh, that's what it is man like I again thanks a lot for being here uh, tell the people about uh, the comedy club and all the great things that are going to be happening here and in, in, in the following weeks and, and let people know please yeah so um I, I do two two things. I mean, I'm a comedian still, so if they want to follow that uh, comedy track that I'm on, um, I have a website. That website is copcomic.com. Leaning in, The huh? copcomic.com. So, yeah, that's my persona. I have a lot of police stories. People enjoy them. Um, so if you'd like to follow that track, you can. And then if you want to find out what's going on in this club, um, our website is jpscomedyclub.com, and uh, we plan on really focusing on Arizona talent and uh, school and just uh, giving back to the community in a different way. All right, Jim Perry, everybody. Thank you, brother. That's the episode. Bye. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the whole damn thing. Listening to the whole damn episode. That was fun, right? I don't know. We fucking recorded this right at uh, JP's Comedy Club in the green room. So that was fun. Yeah, man. Uh, again, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, as always, I'm going to leave a bunch of information in the show notes, specifically uh, the details to the show that I'm going to be on. I'm going to be featuring uh, on the 7 p.m. and the 9 p.m. show this Saturday, September 26th. I'll leave a link to the tickets. And if you guys are interested, you know, either fucking click the link and buy it or hit me up and uh, and hope, hope to see you guys at the show. So, again, thanks again. You guys have a... A great rest of your whatever. See you Saturday. Bye.